Jaman you're listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. Ja. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Claudia Shamba, your host today on Ask a Leader. Happy to be back with you. Uh, thank uh, Adam O'Neill for taking over for me last week so we could keep this going. And um, I just wanted to mention, I'm not pulling your legs, folks, on a road in a van on the way to a cave outside of San Ignacio Belize. There was on the radio 88.9 FM out of Ladyville, Belize. Uh, the Friends FM station. So it was a treat to hear it. It's a treat to be out there refreshing and be fortified. So uh, we'll just be back after a break. Well, we're going to talk very topically to what's happening in Syria as we have many, many fast breaking news. It will be um, with Dr. Ali Akbar Mahdi, uh, an academic who's been all over um, the country, and but his recent uh, appointment is at the College of the Canyons in Santa Clarita in the north part of the LA Basin. Stay with us. for joining us here on Ask a Leader. I'm your hostess, Claudia Shambaugh, as I mentioned, and we are here to talk to you very topically right on what's happening in Syria. My first guest that I was able to speak with yesterday um, is Dr. Ali Akbar Madi. He's a specialist in the political economy of change, gender, and development in the Middle East. He's professor of sociology at the College of the Canyons, and Professor Emeritus at Ohio Wesleyan University. And he's taught at Michigan State, Adrian College, and Central State University. He's authored several books, and I include here, Culture and Customs of Iran, Sociology in Iran, Sociology of the Iranian Family, and we'll have to have him talk strictly about Iran another time, uh, Iranian Culture, Civil Society, and Concern for Democracy. He's written a great deal also about uh, feminism, uh, in Iran and around the Islamic world. So there's a lot to mine, but we're going to mine him. Uh, his thinking today about the, as I said, the fast-breaking developments in Iran. And so um, he will be speaking with us from a pre-recording yesterday. And stay and follow him because he's really uh, anticipating what was going to be happening, uh, covered in the latest breaking news this morning. So join me in... Uh, listening in on a really informative round. Ooh, here we go. Welcome to the show, Professor Mahdi. Thank you. I'm glad you could be on the show with us today. Well, it seems like some very 
dangerous developments are opening up in Syria. We've been watching the Arab Spring unfold over the entire year of 2011. What is different? What is it that's keeping you up at night about the um, uprising in Syria right now? Well, uh, unfortunate aspect of the Syrian developments is that um, it is uh, taking a uh, kind of uh, unnatural uh, course in the way in which that uh, any of those uh, previous uh, Arab uprising have had some kind of internal dynamics, which uh, finally, with uh, lots of ups and downs, and uh, some uh, expectations and, and some uh, dashing of expectation, it has developed to a point where it, it led to the departure of the old uh, uh, leader or the collapse of the system, the old uh, system, and a new one emerged, uh, still searching to identify itself and direction and find its way, but yet there was a uh, happy ending, uh, even if not 100% happy, at least uh, the uh, goal of the movements usually were achieved by uh, forcing the leaders out of the office and, and uh, putting into effect a series of changes that hopefully it will help the Arab society, such as Tunisia or, or Egypt, and uh, lastly, uh, or a recent one, uh, being the uh, Yemen situation. Uh, moving Bahrain, in the direction that hopefully things will get better. But Bahrain, we know, but we're not, we're not going to digress too much, but we know in Bahrain, that's way unfinished business. But, but it doesn't have quite the regional consequences, is why we're focusing on Syria today. But I just, I just yeah, make well, sure. There are three cases that actually have not been at all following the patterns that I mentioned earlier in North Africa and Middle East. And one was obviously uh, Libya, one was Bahrain, and one is Syria. Uh, in, in Bahrain, basically, uh, the movement were never allowed to take off and continues to be suppressed and continues to uh, uh, be uh, confronted uh, in a very, very massive way. Uh, in Yemen, uh, the movement went back and forth, but finally it led to the departure of uh, Saleh. But in Libya, it finally ended up with the uh, intervention from outside. NATO and the United States got involved, and Security Council. Now, Syria, uh, the movement started, uh, and it started from below. But then, uh, slowly, uh, the uh, outsiders began to... Uh, you know, uh, exert their uh, influence on, on the situation. And now we have uh, basically come to a, a proxy war where uh, various forces uh, on international scene are cooperating with uh, either the government in suppressing the movement or with the uh, opposition trying to uh, overthrow the regime of uh, Bashar al-Assad. And so that's that's a pretty unnerving kind of, de I mean, it's uh, certainly expected. However, unnerving, I guess, maybe more so because of what's happened in the Security Council in the U.N. with those the double veto vote with the stakes that the Chinese and the Russians have in the um, maintaining the status quo in Syria, correct? 
Yes, uh, the, the the situation is this that the, in case of Libya, uh, there was not a whole a lot of danger in for the Western countries, uh, European, particularly France at the beginning, and then later, of course, United States as well, uh, and NATO forces altogether going there. The, the Syrian situation is different because. Here you have a really complicated uh, scenario where you have a government which is very much determined to stay in power. Bashar al-Assad and the military that basically uh, is supporting him or that he represents uh, are determined to maintain power because the loss of power will lead to uh, their elimination. Uh, This is not a scenario like uh, Egypt. where you could see a compromise, uh, that the military remains intact. The likelihood of uh, assets falling will definitely uh, has a uh, definite um, overthrow of the leadership of uh, Alawite, uh, which is a uh, religious sect, uh, a Shia sect, uh, which is in power, and they're a minority. And a minor, another uh, mi- case of a, a, a Shia minority leading the country. It, Exactly. Well, they are the Shia minority currently leading that country. And if they fall, the likelihood is that uh, either uh, civil war emerged or, or will emerge or uh, there will be a lot of bloodshed uh, to revenge uh, for a long, long period of Assad's domination and suppression of the voices of the civil society in, in uh, Uh, Syria. That's one aspect of the scenario which makes it complicated. In other words, the second aspect of it is that you have the population which is opposing Assad are uh, mostly uh, coming from a more of a religious background. And uh, some have associated them with the Islamicists. Uh, Some are saying that, no, it does have all kinds of elements. There is no doubt that uh, Bashar al-Assad has had uh, opposition uh, all over uh, his, his society. I mean, people who oppose Bashar al-Assad are coming from all segments of the society. For those, uh, I just want to just break in for a moment. For those of you that have just joined us, we are talking with Dr. Akbar Madi, who's the um, on the faculty of the Colleges of the Canyons at Santiago, uh, at Santa Clarita in uh, Southern California. Thank you. You're listening okay. to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming live on KUCI.org. And with us uh, is Dr. Mahdi uh, talking about the uh, uprising, the, popu- the unpopularity of Mashar al-Assad. Please go ahead with what you were saying. Well, uh, the uh, Syrian society is a um, uh, multi-ethnic, uh, multi-religious uh, society. And as a result, uh, the opposition to uh, President Assad and the current regime uh, is mixed. Uh, and uh, there are some segments of the population who strongly uh, resist uh, the regime and, and uh, wish it to be gone as soon as possible. And there are segments who uh, are uh, who dislike the regime, however, are, are not uh, as enthusiastic uh, about his departure simply because uh, they do not see the uh, 
the alternative as uh, uh, as uh, positive or as uh, clear uh, as uh, they wish. And then there are segments of the society who have uh, benefited from the current regime, and they are afraid that if uh, this regime collapses, uh, they will lose everything. Uh, there will be a very, very uh, dangerous period of retaliation. And uh, so this, the Shia community the, or the Shia minority or a minority population who are Alawite and they are in power, uh, obviously they will be target of retribution after the collapse of the uh, regime if the regime uh, in uh, particularly the whole regime uh, collapses. Uh, the uh, Sunni community, as a, as a Sunni Muslims, uh, they are much more happy to see him gone. Uh, they are a repressed community, and they are the majority of the population, uh, and they do feel that uh, the regime has been very brutal to all them, particularly to all the very conservative uh, or, or religious segment, given that Bashar al-Assad regime is uh, a uh, kind of secular regime. Uh, then there are a lot of uh, segments of the uh, society which are in between. Uh, for instance, the Druze uh, are another ethnic group. Uh, the Armenians are another ethnic group there. Uh, and uh, there are the Kurds. Uh, the Kurds uh, as well uh, have their own anxieties. These uh, other three groups that I just mentioned, uh, they they are no friend of Mr. Assad in that sense of the term. Uh, they don't feel that uh, you know he had been a uh, democrat or he had been in any way a positive force. But yet he is a secularist. He uh, has stood up against some of the religious uh, radicalism that comes from the uh, religious conservative communities. Uh, in particular, if I may say, that the uh, middle class, secular middle class, educated uh, Syrians are extremely uh, torn in this whole conflict. Uh, they they always have fought against uh, Assad. They have been they're the one who, for years, uh, prior to all of this uprising, they were the one who actually you know subjected to. Mm -hmm. uh, torture or imprisonment and, and censorship, particularly in terms of the production of their work and art, because Syria has a very, very lively intellectual community uh, relative to many other Arab communities in that uh, region. Uh, Syria is one of the one that has a very live uh, intellectual uh, production and community, very much like Egypt and, and, uh, and Lebanon and so on. Uh, Lebanon as well, as well. Uh, Lebanon is much more freer society. Uh, it's multi-ethnic. It's, uh, Lebanon has, in many ways, the characteristics of um, Syria. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the things that actually scares these uh, middle segments that I've been talking about is uh, seeing the Lebanization of uh, Syria. That is, the society tears apart, and and then you have all kinds of faction gaining uh, their own uh, corridors of power and, and corners of power and begin to jockeying with each other for over power. And, uh, and they see what has happened in, in Lebanon in the past uh, uh, four decades, after particularly the, the Civil 1980s. War of 1970s. Yes, yes, yes. 70s, 80s. And so wow. uh, that's one aspect of it. There is another fa aspect that actually, frankly, very little uh, is spoken of, 
in the American media, at least of Western media, particularly American media that I'm hearing. Well, it's covered here, uh, then. There's very little, and that is Israel. Yes. Syria is sitting and has a border and has a lost Golan? land, uh, yes. you know, the Golan Heights, which uh, all of that is under control of the Israelis. And uh, if if there is a breakup, the, the likelihood of getting that Golan back is, first of all, much, much smaller. Uh, the chaos itself uh, that will come might might lead to further loss of land as well, depending on what's going to happen, who is going to move in. Uh, let's say for a, for, for a moment that uh, factionalism uh, dominates a civil war, civil war breaks out, and let's say that Iran is on one side and Hezbollah and Hamas will be working with one side and therefore uh, will target Israelis. Israelis will be targeting, and then another piece of land could go. Another war could break up on the other side. Now, it's fascinating to also look at it from another angle. To, uh, if you really want to know what the stalemate, uh, why makes Syria such a uh, difficult and, and uh, gridlock uh, in terms of moving forward, and nothing, nothing resembling what happened in even Libya. Even though the events have got have taken such a bloody toll and, and, and shape, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the very existence of the state of Israel there next door. Uh, Israelis themselves have the same ambivalence. Israelis uh, are not happy with Assad. They they don't probably like Assad. They like a much more moderate Arab leader who would get along, something like Jordan, uh, uh, King Abdullah of Jordan, or Hussein, his father, but. Uh, that is not in horizon. So they like to put pressure on Assad to to be more compromising, to to be less uh, confrontational in terms of the Golan Heights, or in terms of support for Hamas, or in terms of support to uh, Hezbollah. But yet, at the same time, uh, all the alternatives uh, to Assad looks frightening to them. Right. So that must <laughs> and, be. Uh, is that what keeps Israel from exerting some unilateral military uh, maneuver there? Definitely, and that also will. Uh, I would also go further and say that that actually makes United States hesitant to do what he did, uh, what it did in uh, in case of Libya. Uh, even if you heard President uh, Obama today when he was asked, he said, "We will not get into this uh, militarily, and we do not see the military as a as a viable option." Uh, because any kind of military, even though the events are uh, taking a military uh, characteristics and, and, and will inevitably lead to some kind of a military confrontation, but the international community still would like to see this, even if it's going to be militarized, even by itself the, the dynamics will lead to some kind of a much more difficult and military scenario. They would li- rather see it contained and, and remain uh, localized rather than such that the international forces have to be brought in. And if that, because uh, you already uh, saw today uh, and, and, and the past two days that the Chinese and the Russian pretty much draw the line on the, on, on, on the stone. Uh, they said, you know, no, we're not going to move uh, and we're not going to be cooperative and we're not going to be, uh, we don't see this kind of resolution, we don't see this kind of foreign uh, outcry uh, justified. In other words, they, they are not willing to also uh, uh, give up uh, their interest, uh, whatever that is. Right, but in, Dr. Mahdi, though, are the Chinese and the the Russians, though, more looking through the lens of a, uh, a financial, a trade situation, more than a geopolitical one? 
I think it's both. Uh, first of all, you're, you are now confronting with a Russian uh, which reasserting its power. And it's actually uh, trying to gain uh, some of uh, its lost power as well as try to uh, a little bit confront uh, the humiliation that have been taking after the collapse of the Soviet Union and particularly the uh, recent uh, pressure and, and criticism and From the some civilians. unhappy uh-huh. support by United States toward Russia. Uh, Putin, particularly, is no longer speaking in a friendly way with the United States. Mm-hmm. And you don't have the kind of rendezvous that uh, used to exist between, uh, uh, you know, any of the, between, let's say, uh, President Clinton, uh, former President Clinton and, and the Russian, and now uh, and even uh, George W. Bush and Putin. You don't see that anymore. And Putin uh, has to, and Putin is trying to also to mobilize uh, consolidate his power with uh, his own uprising that's fomenting, which is uh, unprecedented right now. Yeah, I mean, he has an agenda which actually fits with the uh, uh, some kind of international, uh, it requires some kind of interna- international demonstration of power uh, in order to show that he has this uh, uh, standing, in not only within the country as a powerful a force, but also uh, a force that actually can move Russia in the direction of a more uh, imperial past that it had. It, it, it is a position that would, uh, you know, bring the Russia back to a point of exerting uh, influence and, and being able at least to to be on the table on equal footing with the West, rather than uh, what happened in uh, Gulf War in the Persian Gulf, uh, in case of Iraq, in case of Kuwait, uh, back in the 90s. And in all of these scenarios, basically, the, the Russian were not really influential in decision-making. It was really Western countries, which even in their Security Council pretty much wrote, wrote the script and, and got it through. And now you have the opposite situation happening. Yet these countries are no longer willing. You know, there were times where United the state could go and, and uh, ask the Russian to co- go along with their uh, various kind of proposal in the UN uh, Security Council, and they would give her the, offer them or, or give them certain kind of financial leverages or financial concession. And they have been doing that. So, for instance, United States have all along. Uh, try to buy out Russian uh, in, in terms of various sanctions uh, that they have imposed on Iran on, on its nuclear weapon. So Russia itself is again another force there. Yes. And the Chinese, of course, because they are a buyer of oil in that area. They're, That's they're, more financial. Big time oil. Yes. I'm sorry? And so that, that puts the Chinese lens in, in the... Yes, in a Chinese, more of a trade. Uh, both in terms of their own interests, in terms of, uh, in terms of particularly in terms of uh, their their uh, economic and trade relationship with uh, with uh, Syrian, but as well with the Iranian situation. Now yes. we didn't talk yes. about regional forces. You exactly. have Iran. We you want have to talk Pakistan. about that. I'm sorry. You have Iran. You have Turkey. You have uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. You have Qatar. These countries are are supporting pretty much the opposition to Assad. <laughs> And uh, except Iran, Iran is on one side, uh, and and in some way you could see this conflict. In many way, today Saudi Arabian leaders in uh, sitting in in, in Jeddah or, or Mecca, they are looking at this conflict as a uh, a effort coming by Iran to take more chunks of Arab world under its own influence. Bahrain is one of them. 
uh, for Saudis, but Bahrain was next door, and therefore Saudis could not even tolerate for a moment before anything happened. They even moved in with military force. Major, yeah. Now, but that's different in, in Syria. You know, uh, Saudi Arabia does not want to itself get itself involved in a military operation of this nature uh, farther out, particularly near and close to a border of uh, border of. Uh, Iran. Uh, Israel. Uh, and at the same time, they are not also even as recent as uh, last week. They have uh, stated that they are not willing, even though they are involved, they are not willing to uh, send Arab uh, military forces in there. In fact, there had been the Western leaders have been proposing that the Arab League and the Arab countries put up a force to deal with this. And, and the Arab countries don't want to set a precedent where uh, the Arab countries are taking, you know, arm against another Arab leaders, given that most of the Arab leaders themselves are monarchical, non-democratic. And if this kind of game starts uh, going, uh, they all could be, you know, in Collapse. danger. They already have been in danger in right. the past one year. Right. So you have got a very, very uh, difficult scenario, the, the, a, a chessboard, that that all of the actors have got certain uh, level of chips on their shoulder, then they cannot move easy because they all have their own uh, story, uh, stories, they have their own communities, they have their own interests, and they have enough alliances that they could, uh, and, and forces behind them, uh, and resources that they can actually uh, pull it into the situation and make the situation to go very slow. Now, we are going to, despite of all of this complicated scenario, yes. you're going to see that this scenario has gone beyond the level of let's have a talk and let's have a, a peace. Well, we saw Something that in the that UN. Is, Did, I think we saw well, that in the, the UN. The problem is that the UN, the UN rot was closed down, actually, with this uh, Security Council resolution being turned down. And what we are seeing actually is that uh, now we don't know how it's going to work out. But uh, Secretary Clinton has started to talk about a coalition of willing uh, states coming together. It all remains to be seen to what extent uh, uh, Secretary Clinton and United States uh, in in this case are are willing. Even uh, the French have said the same thing. Uh, Sarkozy indicated that uh, they're not going to give up and they're going to stand with the people of uh, Syria and so on. So it's possible that if the United States could pull a certain country, given that they pulled their ambassador today out, and they uh, actually, you know, close the embassy, and and the uh, the British also uh, called their uh, ambassador home. Right. And uh, given this, so that the tension will continue. It all depends how many more countries they can uh, pull into some alliance. Uh, an effective alliance that can do something positive. That's another thing. You know, well, I mean, how do you see be, that playing? Uh, how, what do we have to work with with the stalemate and the proxy dynamics in play? What, what is now? I mean, we can see what you said. Secretary of State Clinton was talking about the coalition of willing states. So it takes the Arab uh, nomenclature out of what kind of pact is moving in and trying to settle things down. But what, what is going to be a workable? means for uh, getting through this? Let's go back to Sociology 101. All right. Uh, Any kind of change in society has to come from within first. If it does not have a uh, momentum, it does not have support, it does not have roots 
within the society. It's, even if it happens, it will be shallow, it will be uh, unsustainable, and it, it's going to backfire and, and cause all kinds of uh, difficulty in the future. And uh, therefore, as a result of that, what we really need to see is what's going to happen in terms of the dynamic of, dynamics of the forces within Syrian society. Now, that was something Iran, in fact, was hoping that Assad could pull this out and speak with the opposition. The problem was Iran also was guiding the, as it is guiding uh, Assad regime in some way or, or helping them or giving them consultation. The problem is at the very beginning, they told Assad, stand tough and don't, you know, shake up, don't, don't be afraid, uh, don't have a very uh, thin uh, and soft heart. Just go at these guys, and if you go, they will, you know, stop. But they're well, not. They didn't. And they're, they're they like, are not, and, and as well as the Western countries who are also supporting, as well as the uh, European countries uh, who are supporting. Now, there, there, is, there is something else is happening I haven't mentioned at all, and that is when the Arab League went in there, their observer and inspector went in there, they, ha they came up actually with a very, very uh, disturbing ineffective in some way from one corner and, and effective if you look at the situation to understand it from a social science perspective uh, report and that was they realized that the brute the regime is brutal but yet the opposition is neither cohesive nor united uh, uh, nor also uh, that innocent that it indicates that it is. It, it, in, in many ways, uh, they have begun and gone beyond the earliest stages where they were uh, empty-handed, they had no arm in their hand, and they were, you know, being uh, uh, overrun by Assad regime. But then they, they realized also in, in many situations, the military uh, officers or, or army men have been uh, provoked or pulled in, killed, and therefore uh, what you have is a very complicated situation. Even if you look at the uh, statistics that have been played and, and the coverage that is getting, of course, in the West we are getting a lot of coverage on right, this side right. of the aisle, but inside of Syria, uh, regime is actually showing constantly on the media the number of soldiers dead, the number of military men dead, the number of officers attacked, the number of barracks that have been uh, looted, and so on. And it's a very complicated situation. And it's complicated uh, because... And I'm thinking it's complicated also by the fact that journalists aren't able to get in far enough to verify who is maiming whom in, uh, in this uh, conflict right now. Yes, uh, yes. And, and, uh, and the thing is that they have got their own journalists. They have, we have got our own journalists. And the, the fact is that we each, all, none of these parties are uh, totally independent, uh, particularly in a scenario like this. So it is a very difficult scenario. And uh, I think what's going to finally do this uh, in a right way is that some force within the uh, Syrian situation emerges which can pull these things together. In fact, the Western countries, as I hear them, uh, more of not the, uh, uh, not the people who are in the front, but the, those uh, experts who are uh, involved with the government, uh, policymaker and ambassador, they really, they really hope, their hope is particularly somebody from the military, within the military. I was going to ask about out. that. It's not like the Egyptian military yeah. that refused to shoot their own, but the military's been in the thick of, of uh, you know, sending, like yesterday, sending over those rockets into that hospital. 
Right, but that's what the whole idea is that somebody in military is going to be uh, fed up with the situation or sees the uh, reality that this is getting to a crazy level where uh, nobody is going to be spared of uh, the violence, and therefore they would see it uh, uh, to their benefit to put pressure on Assad and tell Assad get out. Now, that will immediately reduce the tension. And then they will emerge uh, with some kind of a proposal to make uh, an inclusive, uh, establish some kind of a, uh, inclusive transitional government where they will pull in different segments of society and, and work it out. Now, the Western countries obviously are interested in some scenario like this, as long as those military men who would come to power would be, again, uh, less radical, less militant toward uh, Israel, toward the West, and yet also uh, compromising. Uh, the Iranian government would be interested in seeing that kind of a, uh, alliance and emergence, but such that it would not turn uh, Syria into a pro-Western country, which will basically choke off Iranian uh, uh, access to Hezbollah, uh, to, to Lebanon. Uh, so again, uh, depending on how these forces, these uh, forces which are behind the scene and, and uh, putting their money and, and uh, their resources and, and their media into the situation, how they are able to uh, finally work out or, or find a way. Turkey, for instance, had been very much uh, actively opposing what is going on in, in, in uh Syria, but yet Turkey was not willing to either put a soldier down or become take a leadership on this thing. Yes. Uh, it was willing to take a leadership in terms of uh, some kind of a negotiation, uh, but Assad did not show any interest, and, and that did not lead uh, much uh, far and didn't go much far. I see. Now, for those of you who've just joined us, I'm talking today on Ask a Leader with Dr. Mahdi, who is a uh, professor at the College of the Canyons in Santa Clarita uh, in northern L.A. Basin. And we're talking about uh, this very dangerous situation unfolding in Syria. And I, we don't have a whole lot more time left, but what I, I wanted, uh, uh, when we're talking about how we get out of this situation, where, if Assad steps, Assad steps down, where would he go? Well, he would. Uh, that depends on how he would, when he would have stepped down. Uh, that's a very important. It's just very much like what happened in Libya, uh, or even in uh, in case of Iraq. Of course, you know, in the earliest stages of these kind of confrontation, often the Arab allies would offer, or, or someone else will offer uh, a, a way out. Uh, if Assad is going to uh, actually uh, come down, uh, more than likely he will uh, take a refuge in, in uh, Iran for a while, and, and uh, Iran will be willing to at least for a while uh, to do so. And that's been depends made clear? Depends on what situation is, yeah. Okay. Well, it all depends, where, as I said, what is going to happen. If, right. I, if, if things will go further and further uh, toward the end where Assad's hands are awfully bloody, and uh, and there's not a whole a lot more places left for him to go. Uh, then he might actually confront a reality like uh, Libya and oh Abbasi, that he might have to be running uh, after his life uh, under the bridges and so on. Well, you know, it all gotten, depends what the situation. His is. hands have gotten pretty bloody at this point, and I I mean I sort of dread while we're taping this right now, uh, what's happening to the civilians? Uh, you know, with the. Um, 
uh, as uh, 200 people were killed yesterday or this morning, and they rallied and they're back out again, uh, you know, uh, up with their uprising later in the day. And so I imagine we're going to have more headlines tomorrow about um, what has been uh, what's been opening up in the in this time. I hope that uh, things will settle. And uh, I do have to say that uh, some of the numbers we get. Uh, fluctuates and change and get retracted. Right. Uh, prior to the Security Council resolution, there was the word of uh, the numbers of 400, but we passed around. After the resolution, the number were brought down to 200, uh, 250, and then some brought it to further down. So it's really complicated situation. Yes. Different forces are involved in this. We don't have adequate access to uh, forces within the country. Uh, so my hope is that actually uh, Assad becomes more compromising and willing particularly to step aside and allow some of its own, uh, even people who have worked with him, under him, uh, basically to take leadership and, and uh, put together a coalition that could uh, create a compromise uh, to settle this rather than go all the way, uh, what happened in Libya. Do you see there, are there any, can you envision any back channels that are, are working effectively right now? Because up in the front, the formal, the high level, it doesn't seem like there isn't, is much movement, but um, is, the back channels certainly got some, some things worked out between Palestine and Israel in the um, early 90s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, that the back channels were working with, um, you know, the African National Congress and the apartheid mm. regime, but uh, what, do you have any hope for that besides you said that the military may reconsider their uh, their role in this conflict but uh, those back channels is there I am sure as the situation gets worse as the situation is getting worse uh, there will be uh, voices that uh, would like to see this matter uh, to be settled in a positive way uh, that it would stop the bloodshed and it would lead to some kind of a constructive resolution uh, which is neither the Syria that it was under Assad, uh, nor it will become a chaos. The, the, this is the best, uh, the worst fear that everyone who is in this yes. conflict, particularly those who are against Assad, their worst nightmare is if tomorrow Assad collapses or the military for, tears apart, that country becomes a battleground for a civil war. Right. And that is right next war. to Palestine, next to, yeah, it, it, it will be very, it's already proxy. Let's yes. put it that way. Right. The proxy is already there. It, it, but it's going to turn into a bloody situation where those other scenarios, those other theaters next doors, all could be a part of this, and this becomes a part of them again. And as I said, Israel does not want that kind of a chaos uh, in, in next uh, door, in backyard. More Nor unstable. Lebanon can afford that kind of thing. And more unstable than having Iraq uh, overtaken by American military forces in terms of how Iraq used to check Iran in the Middle East, correct? Well, uh, that that was a project, uh, again, which uh, failed. Uh, you know, when we went all the way there and put all the blood and money in there, and now we are leaving, and Iraqi government, actually, the Shias are reasserting themselves. And again, some, uh, the past uh, months or so, we have had so many bombings, so many killings, so many blow-ups. Uh, as I said, if this situation is not controlled, uh, it could get out of hand, and it could easily spill over 
And Iran, particularly with its nuclear uh, program under attack right now with a uh, daily threat again, uh, by various forces, whether United States or yes. Israel, against it, uh, it could, and, and Iran now being behind Assad, it could actually really become an explosive situation that it could, you know, uh, engulf the whole region. Well, I don't know that there is a prescriptive message for listeners, a takeaway message for how we have any kind of a role in here. I guess literacy is where we start by understanding how complicated exactly. it we is. We need to be educated and read and read critically and examine facts uh, as much as uh, uh, painful it is to see that humans are concerned. We just also need to peel off uh, some of the uh, the rhetorical aspects of this conflict from the realities of the conflict. Indeed. And the, I guess to be most wary of the ones who are talking about this in the black and white terms, and the ones that are the most credible are the ones who talk to the gray and how, um, you know, to the complications of it all. Yes. Okay. Well, Dr. Mahdi, you've been very generous. I know a lot of media outlets are... Uh, requesting your time to analyze this with your sociological background. It's, it's rich in, um, in analyzing uh, what's involved here. I thank you very much for talking with us on Ask a Leader this morning on KUCI. Thank you, and thanks to your uh, listener. That was a really, really instructive round. You can see where Dr. Mahdi has um, garnered so many uh, teaching awards um, throughout his professorial uh, career uh, all around the country. And, um, and he was spot on with what was going on with the Russians stepping up to the diplomatic um, vigor here. Uh, not, not just the, um, we have the Arab uh, well, we call them the Gulf Cooperation Council, Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. They all announced that they're recalling their ambassadors from Syria. And uh, then at the same time, we have a sensitive uh, perception that the Russians are giving uh, Mr. Assad a, a green light here uh, to his uh, violent crushing the opponent. So the, the Kremlin has now dispatched its foreign minister Listen to where they're from, these guys, too. Sergei Lavrov, Mikhail Frodkov. They are the head of Moscow's Foreign Intelligence Service. They're dispensed to Syria on, uh, that's uh, today, start earlier on their time. And the Russians said they had a proposal that could end the crisis, but declined to divulge its substance as a, a breaking news item from the New York Times uh, writer, Nada Bakri. And so um, that will be an important development to watch to see uh, the Russian... Uh, intelligence service delegation uh, mediate some kind of solution in what's become rather intractable. Well, we will uh, be back after the station break and take up a uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals um, topic. They're going to be releasing uh, their uh, a decision at 10 o'clock this morning, but we'll talk to uh, you in a bit about some um, ways that people are going to get together and anticipate that.
Wow, that was a beautiful piece. Um, I thought that would be wonderful to share with you. It's Ahmad Al-Khatib. Um, he's actually a, uh, a Palestinian uh, oud player, and that was um, the title was Jerusalem to Baghdad on the Birzet University label. That's there in, uh, in Palestine. Well, um, before uh, we get back, we'll have a little station break and uh, again, take up the, um, the uh, Proposition 8 uh, appeal uh, decision from the, the circuit court. So we'll be back in just a bit, okay? Vikings. We come from different places. Uptown. Downtown. We come to different conclusions. Half empty. Half full. But when we live united, we make a real difference in the building blocks of life. Children succeed in school. Families gain financial stability. The health of our neighbors improves, and suddenly so do our communities. Real change won't happen without you. Live United. So give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Sign up today at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. And you don't hear none of those stations playing them to ask why. In fact, where are those stations today? Somebody better ask somebody that. The people that's most affected by this war. war, war. From animal rights and the anti-war movement to civil disobedience and culture jamming, Justice or Just Us examines law, equality, public policy, and social activism. Tune in Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m. on KUCI in Irvine and KUCI.org. Jaman, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. Ja. Well, we just had to tip a hat, you know. It's not often you get a chance to celebrate Bob Marley's birthday yesterday and then uh, Charles Dickens' birthday today. What company? Well, as I promised you, we're going to uh, um, follow up with an um, opportunity to uh, get together over the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, decision. They're going to hand over uh, this, release it today at 10 o'clock, right after the show is over. It'll happen right during, during George Gonzalez, Ro, Rosales' show. Sorry, George. And so the um, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, the LGBT community of Orange uh, is going to gather with other supporters at the Harvey Milk Plaza in Santa Ana. And for those of you who don't know where that's located, it's the northwest corner of the East 4th Street and French Street in Santa Ana. They're going to gather at 6 o'clock to digest the ruling anticipated today. So... Um, the, we'll just go over a synopsis of what this ruling is about. It was August 4th, 2010, that the District Court Judge Vaughn Walker ruled that the Prop 8 is in violation of the United States Constitution and ruled it unconstitutional but stayed any marriages from taking place. That's after there was that window of several months of people legally becoming married as same-sex couples. So the Proposition 8 backers immediately appealed that decision to the Ninth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals December 6, 2010, the appeal was heard by the sixth, uh, I'm sorry, the Ninth Circuit, and it went back and forth, back and forth, over the fourth these coming months. So basically, the other side was um, trying to make sure that uh, Judge Walker's uh, decision was invalidated. So Tuesday, that's February 7th, today, 2012, the Ninth Circuit Court will announce her decision, and there will be a gathering, as I mentioned earlier, with the LGBT community at the Harvey Milk Plaza in Santa Ana at 
the East 4th Street and French Street in, at 6 p.m. And those who want to listen in on the decision live can follow the webcast or tweeting at 10.30 a.m. www.afer.org forward slash news forward slash live stream forward slash. Uh, the Courage campaign also will carry live tweeting at www.prop8trialtracker.com forward slash. So um, you want to get together with others. I'm sure there's other kinds of gatherings, but this is the one that's been brought to my attention. Thank you, Archer Alstetter, a, a previous guest of mine. Um, who gave me this information, but you can follow that. I'm sure the Orange County Register is, is tracking this, and um, there will be many, many other opportunities. So, listeners, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. This um, show, of course, next week lands on, you guessed it, Valentine's Day, and we'll cover that in our own special way. So bring your notepads and follow along. But for this morning, um, we're going to stay tuned with George Rosales' George Had a Hat. And bye for now. Take care, and um, we'll see you next week. I want to thank you again. It's hard living in the West when I know the East got the best of me. Looking in my eyes, but you never really see the rest of me now. Can you hear me, my city? Smiling was what I'm blessed to be here. Winning, why win? I'm sure my hand, Ben and Jabalin, I ain't have a lot of fans.